Greetings, this is Douglas Gimple, Senior Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill Capital Management, and this is Understanding Edge. Joining me on the podcast today is Mitch Leiner, Senior Research Associate here at Diamond Hill. Mitch is here today to discuss his most recent industry perspectives piece on the state of the consumer and how retailers and brands are navigating the current environment. Mitch joined Diamond Hill in 2019, and prior to that, worked as an equity research analyst at Baird. Mitch is a graduate of The Ohio State University, but I am not going to discuss that school's recent drubbing at the hands of their longtime rival. You can access Mitch's industry perspectives piece at www.diamond-hill.com. Wrapping up 2021, with most of us working from home, so I'll ask for your understanding for any sound issues that may arise. As always, stay safe and stay healthy, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mitch Lyon. Mitch, thanks for joining me today for your inaugural experience on the Understanding Edge podcast. Thanks, Doug. Hey, thanks for having me on the podcast. Appreciate it. Since March of 2020, uh, when lockdowns were in place, the world's changed. Uh, but I'm not sure everyone has thought about the broad changes that you explore in your piece, specifically the shifting purchasing patterns as the world adjusted to a very different environment. So let's lay the groundwork for our discussion and talk about how the changes in the manner in which people work, enjoy leisure time and shop has impacted retailers. Yeah, thanks, Doug. I, I think that's a great place to start. Uh, you know, to your point, the pandemic early on changed how people lived, but also how retailers operated in this drastically new environment. And when COVID-19 first emerged in the United States, there were aggressive measures taken with lockdowns and mandates. Non-essential retailers were required to temporarily close. You know, at first, many of these companies announced they'd be closed for two weeks, and this ended up lasting two months. You know, essential retailers remained open, and they were forced on providing the everyday basics. Um, you know, there was so much uncertainty at the time, which caused people to stock up on food, resulting in empty shelves. And I'm sure everyone remembers the run on toilet paper. Uh, but discretionary purchases were really the last thing on people's minds. You know, the pandemic was a shock to the system. You know, from a consumer perspective, it often flipped people's lives upside down. You know, non-essential workers that were lucky enough to keep their jobs were now working from home. You know, business travel was halted. Many others didn't know if they would keep their job or be furloughed. And ultimately what would come next? Places where people would typically spend discretionary money at, like entertainment, were now shut down. So think restaurants were closed with the exception of takeout. Vacations were canceled. Social gatherings, sporting events were non-existent. You know, outside the essentials, you know, some of the biggest in-demand items were monitors and desks as people were attempting to set up an at-home office, you know, at-home fitness equipment, and even freezers is to store the stocked up food. But overall, there's a sharp decline in consumer spending. You know, governments and central banks around the world approved aggressive, aggressive stimulus actions, which helped. You know, then as people started to get used to this new normal way of living, and before the vaccine became available, call it you know, late summer of 2020, there were some clear shifts in how people spent their time and money. And some of these continued today. You know, people were forced to try new hobbies, whether it was working out at home or the newfound interest of being outdoors in a socially distant way. For example, you've seen national parks record their busiest seasons in history. You know, you've seen golf see a resurgence. You know, there's been a shift to more focus on wellness and healthy living. You know, home improvement uh, saw a big increase as people were stuck at home 
you had that item or project on your to-do list that is now staring at you all day. And importantly, people had the extra time to do these projects. You know, people thought, you know, places that, you know, home is a place that I'm going to be for a while. You know, I want to make it as comfortable as possible. You know, and there certainly were retailers that were impacted more than others. You know, all apparel retail was impacted at first, but you started to see athleisure or comfortable clothes sell better than formal wear because people didn't have a need to go get dressed up. You know, and lastly, Doug, I think it's interesting touching on how consumers changed the way they shopped retailers. You know, the pandemic amplified some major trends that predated the pandemic. You know, the biggest one being e-commerce or online shopping. Consumers have been shifting more to purchasing online over the past decade. You know, and in the early days when, when stores were shut down, this was a lifeline for many of these companies. You know, many set up buy online pickup curbside in a matter of weeks. You know, most companies had buy online pickup in store to varying degrees of success, but now curbside was essential. You know, it's safe to say that companies that invested ahead of the curve in e-commerce were better prepared to handle the shift. Retailers that were open also had to add some workers to regulate how many customers were allowed in at once. And, and lastly, when people shopped in stores, the conversion rate was much higher. The average transaction was much larger in size as people consolidated trips and you didn't see as many people just browsing. You know, people knew what they wanted you know, they went in quickly and, and got out. It's funny, uh, as you were talking, I was ticking all the boxes. So yes, we bought a freezer. Yes, I bought an exercise bike. Yes, we bought more athleisure. Yes, we did more home improvement. So it's it's just checking off the list of everything that you were mentioning. But to combat you know, some of the unprecedented events of 2020, as you mentioned, governments and central banks around the world threw everything, including the kitchen sink at consumers from stimulus checks, low interest rates, elevated and extended unemployment benefits and other emergency relief actions to help keep the economy afloat. This led to you know, an initial spike in savings as consumers, as you mentioned, were hunkered down early on, but then as vaccines became widely available, spending started to ramp up. So how did companies manage through the initial shutdowns and then the rapid acceleration of retail spending? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll briefly start on how companies manage through the initial shutdowns and then turn to the strong consumer spending environment we're seeing today. Now, I touched on it already, but early on, companies had to heavily rely on their e-commerce business or curbside pickup. Liquidity was a huge focus at the beginning. Now, there's only so many weeks that can go by that you see your revenue being down 50% or so. Um, companies with lower quality balance sheets, or in other words, less cash, often had to issue fairly expensive debt. You know, many companies decided to cancel orders or furlough workers to conserve capital. You know, there's just so much uncertainty with how long the shutdowns would last that made companies have to make these types of decisions. And, and frankly, you know, many smaller businesses were forced or you know, had to make the difficult decision to close their doors permanently. And I'm sure we all know of a small local you know, independent restaurant that, that went out of business. But luckily, this didn't last forever. Um, and as you mentioned, the un unprecedented mon monetary and fiscal stimulus measures um, helped stimulate the economy. This consumer spending started to recover in the back half of 2020 due to the stimulus actions, but just as we emerged from the depths of the lockdowns. But many discretionary retailers were still hurting. Uh, consumers were now pocketing extra money and allowed them to save or even pay down some debt. 
And this caused the personal savings rate to spike and it, and it remained above the pre-pandemic level up until recently. So this cumulative effect of elevated savings for call it 18, 20 months, you know, along with the low interest rates allowing for rising asset prices, such as housing, has led to much healthier consumer balance sheets. And that, that is important to keep in mind. Um, but it really wasn't until the vaccines became available and restrictions eased that spending really started to accelerate. You know, is there, there's been some degree of return to normalcy in people's lives. You've seen an increase in consumer mobility, uh, you know, meaning there's more resumption of daily activity, people are moving around more. And while online shopping still remains elevated, people have definitely returned to shopping in stores. Travel and entertainment spending has recovered, but it's still not back to normal, which lends itself to consumers spending on tangible items. You know, one data point I highlight in my industry perspective is U.S. retail sales in October of 2021 were 24% above the 2019 level, and that's huge growth. Now, because of the strong demand and the abrupt starts and stops of the economy, retailers are now experiencing some emerging headwinds including widespread inflationary pressure, supply chain disruptions, and labor shortages. Now, I'm sure we'll go into more detail about some of these challenges, but at the moment, the strong demand and, and lean inventory levels are allowing many retailers and brands to cut back meaningfully on promotions to sell more items at full price. You know, in general, the, the less promotions have offset these expense headwinds, allowing for higher profits. But the degree really depends on company-specific business model or situation. Um, and, and to close, it's pretty amazing to think that the year 2021 is on track to be the most favorable retail environment in recent memory. So one of the things we hear a lot about uh, on the financial news networks is the concept of companies pulling forward performance. Uh, first, walk us through what exactly is meant by pulling forward, and second, how do we at Diamond Hill incorporate anomalies like this into determining the intrinsic value of the companies that we cover? Regarding the concept of pulling forward, it's a term that means performance experienced a pandemic-related boost in sales or earnings that the company would have otherwise not been able to achieve in a normal environment. You know, as we've touched on so far in this discussion, the consumer spending environment is very strong right now which has allowed some businesses to pull forward performance with varying degrees of sustainability. And I'll, I'll get into that. Uh, but this is a good segue into our investment philosophy at Diamond Hill. You know, we are bottom-up investors that, I believe, Doug, you mentioned this, attempt to estimate the intrinsic value of an individual business. And when we do this, we focus deeply on what we call normalized fundamentals. And we always keep a long-term view. You know, we are looking at how we believe a company should be able to perform in at least five years. So earnings per share for next year or even the year after are not what we are focusing on the most. Um, for example, you know, when we analyze retail and consumer discretionary companies, which is what I cover, you know, we form financial assumptions by analyzing a number of factors, you know, including competitive positioning, sources of revenue growth, investment opportunities, profitability dynamics, pricing power during inflationary periods, and the impact of secular trends. Now, and beyond these considerations, you know, at the simplest level, we want to focus on the company's value proposition to its core customer, how sustainable that value proposition is, and how the pandemic may have changed this positively or negatively. 
you know, for retailers, value can come in the form of low prices, product differentiation, better customer service, or, or greater convenience. Now for brands, consumers may perceive value due to you know, higher quality materials, greater brand recognition. So, so why does a consumer choose Nike over a private label shoe? Or the consumer connects with its brand or mission. Uh, so I touched on how we invest, but I think it's helpful for me to you know, add some context about how we incorporate anomalies into how we value a company. And I'll, and I'll focus on today's environment because as I've discussed, there are plenty of near-term headwinds and tailwinds to consider. You know, many retailers are experiencing revenue trends often well above what was normal pre-COVID and some are achieving the best operating margins in the decade. You know, and while we don't know exactly when, uh, consumer spending will return to a more normal level eventually. You know, one aspect that will be interesting to watch play out is, and I don't have a strong view, but to what degree will the consumer draw down on its savings it has built up, if at all? You know, on top of the spending normalization, you know, once inventory gets caught up with demand, it is inevitable that promotions will return, but also some of the freight expense headwinds will also fall off. You know, the pandemic has allowed some dis discount heavy retailers to clean up distribution. You know, others have used excess price increases or cut significant costs out of the business to maximize near-term profitability. And that's great, but there's not much benefit if companies will just return to their normal ways eventually. So instead, you know, we see companies making the necessary investments and strategic decisions to improve their long-term competitive positioning rather than squeezing out near-term value. Or you know, perhaps a company has exposure to a product category that we think will be permanently more relevant after the pandemic. And lastly, I think it's worthwhile to touch on a few areas that will only be more important to companies moving forward as a result of the pandemic but also what consumer behaviors may be stickier. For companies, the idea of omni-channel is very important. And that's the idea that you'll meet the customer with a great experience wherever they wanna shop, whether it's online, in-store, curbside. Uh, digital marketing and supply chain are also areas that are only getting more focus. You know, from a consumer behavior perspective, there is some merit to more casualization as people work from home with more frequency people wanting to live healthier lifestyles or enjoy the outdoors more. I also think it's likely consumers have tried curbside pickup or mobile ordering for the first time during the pandemic and have had a good experience. So that seems somewhat sticky to me as well. You know, and there's so many that I did not touch on, but you know, I'm excited to see you know, how everything evolves. So you mentioned it, so I'll, I'll follow up. We'll talk about inflation a little bit. It's running hot throughout the economy and after languishing, near 2% for the past decade or so. It's been well above that level since April of this year with no signs of slowing down, averaging around 5.2% from April through October. And November's number uh, came in at, I think, 6.9%, which is the highest it's been in 40 years. Uh, the debate over transitory seems to have died down with the Federal Reserve officially retiring the phrase. So I'll ask you, how have retail companies dealt with inflation and as a long-term investor, how do you differentiate between companies and their handling of this environment? Yes, I, I think inflation really hit home when, when Dollar Tree, which isn't a holding of ours, um, recently announced they'll raise their price point to $1.25, 
from the $1 price point it's been in place since the 1980s. Uh, but the companies that I cover are really seeing three main areas of inflation. Um, so you have input costs, freight costs associated with the supply chain disruptions, and wage inflation. And Doug, as you pointed out, inflation is something most retailers and consumer discretionary companies have not really had to consider over the past decade. You know, it remains to be seen how long some of these inflationary pressures will last. But to me, the area that seems most temporary is freight. So right now, there's an imbalance between the number of containers and labor in the supply chain relative to how much demand there is for product. You know, as the supply chain works itself out, it should help with some of these cost pressures. Input costs tend to be relatively cyclical as well. A lot of this depends on the exact commodity. Um, the inflation on some of these raw material costs has been pretty sharp. So this does create a mismatch in the near term that companies are dealing with. But over time, consumer discretionary companies tend to be fairly rational with pricing for raw materials. Now, the area, in my opinion, that is likely to be a more permanent step change up is wage inflation. You know, this has been a headwind for retailers prior to COVID due to general market dynamics, but also state level minimum wage increases. Now, I won't go into too much detail because this is a whole other topic, but for many service jobs, such as retailing or restaurants, it's generally been difficult to find enough workers even after elevated unemployment benefits rolled off, which forces companies to have to offer higher pay. Now, I will note that companies that didn't furlough their employees or maybe generously paid appreciation bonuses to workers during COVID have actually had a much easier time getting and retaining talent. For example, you know, Home, and De Home Depot has not had much issue finding labor at all. So those are the three main areas of inflation. Um, most companies are managing inflation fairly well so far. You know, this is likely due to the current environment where limited inventory and plentiful demand is allowing retailers to get more than their fair share of price, you know, both in terms of increasing the initial price, but also due to needing less overall clearance or discounting. Um, so far, the consumer has been more than willing to pay full price. Um, you know, we you know, at Diamond Hill are not attempting to forecast where inflation will exactly be in the future. But to your question, Doug, we try to understand how well equipped each of one, each one of our holdings is to deal with inflation, you know, understand their general exposure, and then we assess how they decide to handle the inflationary pressures. You know, there's a couple of characteristics that make navigating inflation easier. The two main ones are pricing power and scale. Pricing power part of the equation goes back to the value proposition aspect I talked about. You know, if a company is differentiated or has strong brands, is likely able to take some price to some degree. But also part of pricing power is what industry a company competes in. So some industries have historically been more rational with pricing. So auto part retail, home improvement come to mind. Um, and others are simply more competitive. You know, a rule of thumb is if switching costs are much lower and product is not very differentiated, price becomes more of a factor and, and thus raising prices becomes a little bit more difficult. And then in terms of scale, this one's likely pretty obvious, but is especially important in less differentiated goods. You know, the reason being is larger companies can purchase larger quantities and then pass this savings through to the consumer. Another lever companies have to offset inflation is to attempt to be more efficient or productive. You know, and this often comes in the form of 
taking labor hours out of the store. But companies have to be careful with this because there's a fine line before, you know, it could have an impact on the customer experience. So to wrap up, I mean, each company has to make strategic decisions on how they want to mitigate the inflationary impact. Some companies will be more aggressive with price increases and others will try to lag and absorb some of this cost in order to make up for it with increased traffic and market share gains. You know, we want our holdings to make the best long-term decisions and always keep that value proposition in mind. You know, we tend to prefer to see traffic growth over price. Um, and ultimately, I think it will likely take some normalization in the consumer spending environment to really understand how successful each company will be with dealing with inflation. So Mitch, in your piece, you cite three companies to help demonstrate our investment philosophy and how it incorporates some of the issues we've discussed. Can you walk me through each of these companies and then how we think about their navigation through the past couple of years? Of course. Yeah, I've touched on you know, how we think about investing, but hopefully these examples can illustrate it a little better. Um, let's first start with Home Depot largest home improvement retailer in the US. Home Depot is a high quality business that has some strong competitive advantages such as its premium real estate locations, disciplined operations and advantaged supply chain. Management is very long-term focused and made the decisions to invest heavily through what is called its One Home Depot strategy, which they announced in late 2017. So well before the pandemic. And this strategy has strengthened its supply chain and digital presence, which has really paid dividends as Home Depot has navigated the pandemic. Um, I touched on earlier that home improvement has been a COVID beneficiary, but we have a positive secular view of the industry, in particular like Home Depot's exposure to what they call the pro customer, which are smaller contractors or handymen. And ultimately it's scale and decisions during the pandemic have helped mitigate some of the supply chain inflation and labor issues we've discussed. For example, some of the larger companies you know, such as Home Depot, Walmart, Costco have actually went out and leased their own container ships for the first time to help mitigate some of these supply chain issues. Moving to TJX, which is the leading off-price retailer with its main banners being TJ Maxx, Marshalls and HomeGoods, we believe off-price is well-positioned to gain market share through various economic backdrops. TGX's vendor relationships, given its scale and nimble business model, really help protect it from exposure to any out-of-favor trend. You know, a store turns over its entire inventory in only two months. Now, TGX is exposed to cost headwinds, uh, particularly freight and labor. And while management is very long-term focused on driving traffic to stores and gaining market share, we appreciate their recent willingness to modestly increase prices without jeopardizing its value proposition in order to defend some of its profitability in light of these cost pressures. And the last thing I'll note is that we think shoppers will always be attracted to great value. And if transportation delays cause retailers to cancel late deliveries or simply retailers start to order too much at a time when demand might soften, you know, this could lead to a favorable buying environment for TJX. And lastly, to wrap up is Haynes Brands, which is an apparel manufacturer that primarily sells its goods through retailers. Its main brands are Haynes and Champion, but also has several other well-known brands in the U.S. and internationally. The company has had a new management team take over since the start of the pandemic, and we believe they're making 
good long-term decisions, such as limiting near-term earnings upside in favor of increasing marketing behind its brands to drive that long-term growth, but also to exit some non-core operations to simplify its business. Haynes Brands owns most of its manufacturing, and this competitive advantage has proven very valuable considering the recent supply chain disruptions. Mitch, I want to thank you for joining me today. Uh, it's been great. Uh, hope you've enjoyed it. Hope you'll be coming back soon. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by Diamond Hill Capital Management. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Reliance upon this information is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal.